Hello and welcome to the second episode of the self-hosted web.org podcast. My name is Richard Hemmer. First off, I have received a whole bunch of great feedback for my first episode and I'm very, very thankful for that. With the abundance of new podcasts nowadays and the limited amount of time people have in their day-to-day -day lives, I feel grateful that so many have taken the time to listen to this first episode. And for everyone who's new here, this podcast is about software you can host on your own server instead of having to rely on hosted solutions. In each episode, I pick one app, program or whatever you want to call it, and will give you a little overview of what it does. In addition, I will talk to the maintainers and creators to find out not only about their software, but also about what they think about self-hosting and its future. I am intentionally focusing on software that's easy to install and I will never get too technical. So let's get on with the show. So, if you have listened to the first episode of this podcast, you will remember that I talked about CloudRun, a platform that allows you to install software on your server with ease and then takes care of all the other tedious stuff you just really wouldn't want to spend that much time on. In this episode, I will be talking about one piece of software that you can install via CloudRun as well and which has become a bit of a darling in the self-hosted software sphere, if there is such a thing. I am talking about Nextcloud. In a nutshell, Nextcloud is software that allows you to upload data to a remote computer and synchronize it to your devices. If you have ever heard of or even used Dropbox, probably the most well-known cloud storage solution, then you will know what Nextcloud does. Or at least you will know the very basics of what Nextcloud does, because really it's actually the Swiss army knife among the cloud hosting solutions. But more about that later. First, let's talk about the name, Nextcloud. It makes you think that maybe at some point there existed another cloud apart from this next one, and you might be right, because before Nextcloud existed, there was OwnCloud, and still is. And if you're now a bit confused, I don't blame you. It is a bit confusing. Fortunately, I have someone here to explain it all to you, and his name is Frank Karliczek. First of all, thanks a lot for having me here on the, on the podcast. It's, um, it's a real honor. It's, it's real fun. So I'm um, a free software, open source developer for a long, long time. So over 20 years now. Um, I um, Over the years, I was involved in different open source projects, initiatives. Um, for example, for a long time, I was um, deeply involved in KDE, the KDE Linux desktop. Um, and... Um, did all kinds of things here. Um, but I guess nowadays I'm mainly known for being the founder of OwnCloud and also Nextcloud now. You might have noticed that compared to the previous episode, there is no traffic noise in the background and there's nobody speaking but my guest himself. That's because this time I didn't travel to Germany to speak with Frank Karliczek, but instead just called him on the phone. Technology, it's a marvel. Anyway, I promise you to clear up the whole issue regarding OwnCloud and Nextcloud, and Frank Karliczek was nice enough to do that for me. I don't want to go into too much detail because, um, yeah, I think it's um, it's better to um, to look forward and talk about uh, positive things, not so much about the problems that that we had. But I can um, say a little bit. 
Um, so, um, I mean, I founded um, OwnCloud, um, the open source project, the, the product, the community, uh, seven and a half years ago now. And um, this quickly became like a very active open source project with lots of contributors and, and, and users and good feedback from the press and from um, also like bigger, bigger users, like companies started to use it. And then um, I got in contact with, um, with, with two, um, two people um, that I, where I then founded a company together. So we founded like one and a half or close to two years later, founded a company, OwnCloud Inc. Um, with, I did this with two co-founders together and we um, immediately founded a company in the, in the US because the theory or the idea was that um, it's just, um, yeah, the, the, the US IT market is more, um, more active and as it's easier to start a company there and so on. And another reason was that we also found an American venture capital investor from day one um, that um, has put money into this. And yeah, and then this adventure began basically um, building up a company in parallel to the already existing community. Um, yeah, this was um, quite successful for a while. So everything was growing nicely, the company, the community both were growing. But after, after a while, it became clear that uh, also a um, few things happened that were not so good um, for, the, for, the, for the community, for the company. There were some, some issues that want to go into too much detail, but it was basically um, the momentum of, of own cloud was um, slowing down or even shrinking according to some metrics. And that's what just um, too many mistakes were happened on all sides, basically. And um, I mean, I could have said that, look, this is um, this is how it is. Um, this is over or I don't know, it's shrinking or not working out. But um, me and like a big part of the core team, so mostly the, the people who um, who liked own cloud um, even before there was a company, and like um, yeah the, the core developer team basically and me together we we thought that look this is um, only because this this company here is not working out um, there is no reason to throw out the whole idea and the whole software and the whole community and everything and we um, I sat together and discussed is there a way to um, yeah, um, to fix those um, problems and those mistakes and basically make a, a reboot of everything, which um, is, is better, where we all learn from the past and try to, um, yeah, try to improve the situation because we all had felt that um, it's not, it wasn't the fault of the community and wasn't the fault of the idea and wasn't the fault of the software, there were other reasons that um, the old setup didn't really work so well. And yeah, and then basically um, a big part of the, of the core team, so overall it was about 12 people, um, then basically left own cloud and found the next cloud as a, um, yeah, as a reboot basically. And we tried to learn from the past. And now after a year, I must say that the assumption at the time was right. So it was or is possible to do things in a better way. And if you look at um, how we are growing from the community side and from the company side, it's actually, we are in a, in a really good situation now. I'm really happy that um, we were able to, 
yeah, turn this around and make this a successful open source project and company together. So now that that's cleared up, let's talk about how to set up Nextcloud. First, of course, you will need a server that could be web space, that could be a virtual private server as described in the previous episode or on selfhostedweb.org slash your server or any server you've got sitting in your living room. And you know what? If you're the tinkering kind, you can even install it on your Raspberry Pi and you'll find a detailed how-to in Nextcloud's help section. Of course, if you're using Cloudron, you can simply click on Nextcloud and install it as an app on your server. But if you want to do this the standard way, Nextcloud offers the web installer, which is almost as easy as pointing your mouse and clicking an icon. All you have to do is download their installer, upload it to your server, and then execute it in your browser. All the rest will be done by the installer, and with a tiny bit of luck, a few minutes later, you'll have your Nextcloud up and running. Oh, and if you just don't want to worry about setting up a server at all, there's also this neat little thing called the Nextcloud box. It's a small square black box that comes preloaded with Nextcloud. All you have to do is plug it in, connect it to your internet, and you are ready to go. Let's look at what sets Nextcloud apart from the other contenders in the field. And mind you, there are quite a few. Not just the hosted ones, like Dropbox, Google Drive, or this Microsoft thing that I tend to forget about. There's also a number of self-hosted, some of them open-source solutions as well. But what really sets Nextcloud apart is the vast community that surrounds it and helps to extend it. When you open up Nextcloud, you're greeted by the file manager. But what you don't see at first glance is the number of extensions that allow you to, well, extend your Nextcloud install. Look to the top right corner and click the cog icon, then select apps and you'll be taken to a backend which holds all these extensions. Quite a few of these extensions are official extensions and installed by default. Among them, for example, are file sharing capabilities, calendar and contacts management, a mail app and the new video call extension which, you guessed it, adds video calls between users of that Nextcloud install. But apart from these official extensions, there's a lot of extensions developed by a very active community. Remember how I gushed about fresh RSS, my self-hosted RSS reader? Well, Nextcloud packs its own RSS reader called News. Or if you were one of the many diehard, delicious users and want to store your bookmarks in your Nextcloud install, well, Nextcloud has an app for that as well. I could go on and on just reading out loud all the apps that are sometimes very niche, like a GPX editor, and sometimes very much for the mainstream, like an ebook reader, but that would probably bore you and ultimately bore myself as well. Instead, I'll advise you to visit the Nextcloud app store at apps.nextcloud.com. By the way, do you find it a bit weird that every collection of software is now called an app store? I guess Apple does have some influence after all. With these apps at your fingertips, there's really not a whole lot you can't do with or from within Nextcloud. Just make sure whatever platform you're using to host it has enough memory to not get bogged down by it all. I've seen it happen and it can get kind of frustrating. That said, my Nextcloud install with a few additional non-official apps installed runs fine on my VPS with 512 megabytes allocated to it. One piece of advice, if you feel that Nextcloud loads a bit sluggishly, 
activate HTTP2 on your server and I guarantee you it'll be way faster afterwards. Consult your favorite search engine to find out how to do it. If you've managed to install Nextcloud, this won't be hard for you, I promise. For everyone wondering if there is a mobile app for Nextcloud, of course there is. Download it from the mobile app repository of your choice. Connect it to your installation of Nextcloud and that's it. There's one great little bonus as well. If you've used Dropbox in the past, you might know that it gives you the option to automatically upload all the pictures you're taking with your device to the cloud. Nextcloud offers that as well, but you will have to activate it first. A fair word of warning. If you take a lot of pictures, your server space might be filling up faster than you'd think. So make sure you've got the space to spare. With all cloud storage solutions, either hosted like Dropbox or self-hosted like Nextcloud, people worry about security. And rightly so. You're using software that will store your data in a place that is accessible from anywhere in the world. Knowing that your data is secure is probably the most important thing for everyone sending their data up into the cloud. So naturally, I asked Frank Karliczek about security in Nextcloud. <laughs> oh, wow, that's a big question. Um, because um, security is also something that can be... Um, I mean, there are lots of different ways how to how to um, think about security. Um, actually, I had quite some interesting conversation with some other journalists lately where it became clear that people think about security in different ways, especially if you look in the US or in, in Europe, then security all means different things. <laughs> so um, I want to cover like a few areas that um, come to my mind. But I don't want to say that this is everything uh, we, we do about security. It's just a very broad topic. So first of all, um, from my understanding, Nextcloud is already more secure than other solutions because you can, uh, you can host it yourself. So um, you can basically choose where the software is, um, is running. You can put it on your own hardware. You can put it on the hosting center you trust. You can put it into... Um, some cloud service, you can actually run Nextcloud in the Amazon or in the Microsoft Azure cloud if you want to, or you can just put it on any on any Linux uh, box basically that you choose and also a big cluster that runs somewhere. So that's the, the fact that you can actually choose is already a benefit for security in my opinion. And it's also, I mean, together with choosing the, the hosting where the software is running, you already you also choose other things, right? You choose like um, which administrator to trust, right? And because you might trust one service provider, but not the other, you might trust one hosting center because maybe it's like um, in the same city as you and you know the people personally, or there's a special certification in there, but you can actually choose where to run it. That's like the first thing um, um, I want to say why I think it's more secure than others. Second is um, the fact that it's open source. It's actually funny that um, when I started with open source like many years ago, like 10, 15, 20 years ago, a lot of people had the opinion that open source is less secure than proprietary software because everybody can look into the source code and find the bugs. Nowadays, it's basically the opposite. All the, all the not all, but most of the security researchers on the planet um, they agree that transparency is good. So that the fact that everybody can actually audit the code and see um, um, how it works and what it can do and what it can't do um, is actually a positive thing for security. 
um, and also lots of our um, lots of our customers um, and users they really appreciate the the fact that you can actually audit the code that you can take the source code and audit it yourself or hire like another company to review the code and that you can actually that everybody knows what they get if you have proprietary software it's true that if there's a if there's a security problem in proprietary software it's probably harder to find and some people might think that's good <laughs> But other people might think that this is actually not good. It's actually like the fact that it's transparent and reviewable is a good thing. So like Nextcloud is one of the very few um, open source file sync and share solutions. And this is another the second point why I think it's more secure than others. And then, of course, there are like from a functionality perspective, there are a lot of things that Nextcloud can do that others can't. So you can integrate, for example, the authentication of Nextcloud into um, other authentication um, mechanisms you have. So if you in your organization have an LDAP server, for example, and all your users, they already have their, their normal credentials they used to authenticate, um, like in other systems, they can use the same credentials in Nextcloud. That's, that's, a, that's a security benefit because well, then people don't have to remember two passwords. Um, so, which means they don't actually write it down on a post-it and put it onto, onto the display um, because it's the same um, single sign-on. Um, so that's a benefit. And then, of course, Nextcloud supports all kinds of more advanced authentication methods like, like uh, two-factor authentication, um, where you have the second factor might be an SMS to your phone or it might use a hardware token. We also support hardware two-factor authentication, all kinds of other ways to authenticate. So this is something that we are really proud of, that we are so flexible and so secure here. And that's also better than with some other solutions. Um, and there we, I, can, I could go on and on. There are lots of other things. Uh, the file firewall, that this file access control thing is a very unique feature that we also have, which um, allows the administrator to define who um, can um, access which files from which device, from which IP space at what time, from which um, network, from which country. So really basically define fine-grained roles, uh, uh, rules, um, basically where does the data go, who can access it, and so on. This is a very unique feature that that others don't have. And again, it's everything is open source Nextcloud, so it's available for everyone. So how is Nextcloud making money, though? Well, they do that by offering enterprise support. So if you're a company looking to install Nextcloud and you don't even have the slightest idea how to do it, you contact Nextcloud. They analyze your needs and then guide you through the whole setup process. Ongoing support for a specified amount of time is then included as well. You can visit nextcloud.com enterprise to see all the details. Now, since this is the self-hosted web podcast and I had the chance to speak to a pioneer in the self-hosting world in the form of Frank Karliczek, I of course asked him what he generally thinks of self-hosting, apart from using Nextcloud, that is. Let me answer this the other way around. Let me, let me say that I think it would be a very, very sad and very bad um, future if we are living in, in a world where um, all files and all communication of every human being on this planet is like hosted by like five companies. Like if like, um, I don't know, like Google and Microsoft and, and Apple and Amazon and I don't know, 
Facebook maybe, if basically those companies, they host like all communication of all data of everyone. This is like, this is not a, this is not a future I want. So, so I think it is very important that there's an active market and lots of alternatives of different hosting, different server, different server software, different tools, different clients, just an active, vibrant ecosystem where people can choose from is, um, I think this is very important for the future. And um, self-hosting is definitely part of this. I'm, I'm, I wouldn't say, <laughs> I don't know if your listeners want to hear this, but I, 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 wouldn't say, I wouldn't say that the perfect solution is that everybody has a server at home. I think um, it, it's important that it's possible and, a few, and for a few people it is the recommended way. But I also um, think that there are people who, um, who just don't want to have like something at home. But they still should be able to, I don't know, maybe they have an account on a server of a friend, or maybe they, they actually go to a service provider, which is fine, as long as there's more than one. <laughs> I mean, if there's, I mean, for example, for Nextcloud, if you go to our website, you can already see that there are 50 service providers who, have, uh, who offer Nextcloud hosting. You could say, uh, why should I trust one of those instead of Dropbox or Google Drive? That's a good question. But I, I think it's important that people have choice. So if you have in the future where we, where we can choose between self-hosting or others choose to run the server in your companies and others choose uh, one service provider out of a thousand, then this is already a good future. It's already better than every, everything centralized in one, you know, at one place. And I don't think there's a lot more to add to that because he sort of describes what this podcast or the selfhostedweb.org in general is about showing people the options they have, giving them a choice without being dogmatic about it. How I still use so many hosted services, I couldn't be dogmatic about it even if I wanted to. And speaking of hosted services, I did ask Frank Karliczek whether he still uses any hosted services and if he does, why? <laughs> That's an excellent question. It's actually funny that no one asked me this before. It's a very excellent question. Um, so um, what, what people ask me sometimes is, hey, you have a Twitter account, you have a Facebook account, um, but you like privacy. What are you doing here? Um, and at the end of the day, this is something everybody have to, has to choose for themselves. right? This is not, I, I don't think there's right or wrong or anything here. But I can say what my personal opinion for myself is here. So I use um, those services for um, for um, yeah for information that I consider public. So for example, my Twitter account is um, well. This is like a way to um, to communicate with people, um, and I will I post like messages there that other people can read if they're interested in that. But there's nothing on my Twitter account that I um, that I consider like private or personal data, and it's actually the same for Facebook. So my Facebook is configured in a way that everything is public, so everything everybody can see everything. For me, this is just like a I don't know, like a personal homepage basically. But as soon as there's um, communication, sometimes people send me like chat messages on Facebook or send me like direct messages on Twitter, and what I usually do is like um, that's okay, I read them. But immediately um, switch to other communication channels like like email, which can be encrypted, or XMPP, which can be encrypted, and so on. But I, I use some services 
but they are for me they're more like broadcast services i don't have any personal or secure information on there and this is why i use them but um beside that i mean i don't really use any service I, I think i still have a dropbox test account i haven't looked in for many years or something but <laughs> i don't store my my real private information i i, I manage this with nextcloud obviously There you have it. No need to shut down all your accounts that aren't self-hosted. Just make sure you're aware of who you're giving your data to and what data you're giving up. The less confidential data you share on hosted services, the better your life and probably the lives of the people you communicate with will be. And with this, I think it's time to end this second episode of the Self-Hosted Web Podcast about the self-hosted cloud storage solution Nextcloud. Thanks again to Frank Karliczek for taking the time to talk to me and explain his views on things. The music is by Poddington Bear via freemusicarchive.org under an attribution non-commercial 3.0 international license. If you have any suggestions on what to talk about in my next episodes, feedback about this episode or just general feedback about the format, don't hesitate to drop me a note at richard at selfhostedweb.org. But don't turn this thing off just yet. As I did last time with Cloudron founder Johannes Zellner, I also asked Frank Karliczek where he sees the future of self-hosting. And I have to say, he had quite the interesting suggestion. See you next time. There's one thing I want to maybe want to plant into the head of um, like um, like you and your self-hosting community here is um, that um, I mean for a lot of people self-hosting means like have a Raspberry Pi or something at home or like a small box. There's also the Nextcloud box, for example, and there are lots of other boxes where I can do this. And people think that this is this is self-hosting, and it, it absolutely is. But the challenge is I don't know how many Raspberry Pis are running at the moment, but I don't know, a few millions, I guess, but definitely not billions. So um, actually, I think there is one opportunity that people should um, should embrace more, um, which could like bring self-hosting to the next level. And this could be uh, self-hosting using hardware that everybody has and that exists in the billions. And this might be self-hosting on phones. So if someone uh, could, I mean, it's definitely difficult on iOS, I guess, but on Android, um, I think it maybe should be possible to turn like also a phone into an Android phone into some kind of small server. Um, and then if you have basically um, the decentralized um, communication with, I don't know, XMPP or decentralized social network or even like decentralized Nextcloud sharing that we also support with federation share, uh, federated sharing. Um, if something like that could run on your phone, so if my phone becomes like your node, yet you don't need a Raspberry Pi at home, that basically your phone is like not only your client, but your phone is only also your server. I think this could be this could be interesting. I'm not saying it's easy. It's probably hard to do without battery drain. And I know that some service providers there actually block access to your phones from the outside. And there are lots and lots of technical challenges. But maybe maybe something as a crazy idea for your community to um, <laughs> try to, maybe we should try to see if we can um, do self-hosting on phones.
this would be uh, this would be interesting. 